Hello everybody and welcome back to giving the mic to the wrong person. This is part two of a chat we had with repeat guest Derek Varn back in late December. Sign up at our Patreon at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Also, and this would really help us a lot if you could tell just one person about our show. We are trying to increase our audience and you know just mention it to just one person would go a long way to doing that. Check out Derek's podcast, Pop the Left, at dietsoap.podomatic.com. Thanks. But it's funny because when you talk to a certain kind of baby boomer leftist liberal, they kind of still think we're fighting Reagan's moral majority, which is kind of hilarious to me. That that's been dead since probably the middle of George Bush's term. But what are you going to do? I mean, I think what a lot of them try to do is just kind of move things downfield. Alex Jones's new thing is that the Democratic Party is trying to legalize pedophilia through drag time story hour, drag queen right. story hour. His other um, thing is actually no longer keeping his I'm not going to invite anti-Semites on my show rule to where stuff is a lot less crypto than it used to be. Yeah, Nick Fuentes as a guest is not a great move. Yeah, I mean, who else is going to support? I don't. The other thing is, I don't know. Like Jones's relevance is going to be. It's hard to see now. Uh, um, but what are you going to do about it? I, I, the other thing I, I think of, I used to be one of those people who ironically consumed a lot of stuff or to like try to know your enemy, and I still think that's useful to do. Um, but there is a limited amount of bandwidth you have, and uh, and and a lot of times we that's how this algorithm shit really spread this stuff is critiques spread it. And if everybody's spreading it ironically and 10% kind of don't buy the irony, well, that grows the audience substantially over time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar. Like there is no such thing as an ironic click or right. if, if you, uh, you mention that you mention that word, even, uh, even, you know, in a, like a, in a in a uh, you can't negate that shit in an algorithm like you mentioned you you drop like a a keyword in your say like a podcast description or a meme or something that word that term keeps getting you know will get will cycle through the uh, algorithm again you know it'll echo again and again and again and again and again and it's, it will draw its own uh, will draw gravity to itself just through repetition even though it's you're trying to like you know trying to actively negate it Right. So it's like, um, you know, don't, uh, yeah, so kids, uh, the lesson is uh, don't post uh, live streams staring into the abyss because that just raises the abyss's uh, SEO numbers. Right. I mean, I, I struggle with this because one of the things I do um, with not on my own podcast but with other podcasts because of my, like, particular niche specializations, um, I talk a lot about right-wing thought and theory, but – one of the things that I noticed is there's this obsession with weird, with the weird end of far right thought on the left that in a way sort of spread it. Now, when I was actually worried about being it being spread ten years ago, no one cared, which I'm still a little bit miffed about. But now I feel like we, you know, like what role have we played in making Ebola part of the mainstream discourse? Like that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's important. Yeah, it's almost like the um, even a bunch of well-meaning history nerds going back to talk about this stuff has just kind of resurfaced it, just because of the way how algorithms are constructed. Because it's like, well, here this is a subject everyone you know. It's like it's like trends t- trending items on Twitter. It's like people are talking about this, and you know, um, 
Was it a good thing that a bunch of people started talking uh, talking about wondering who this Strasser guy was? I'll leave this to you, the viewer, to decide. But Yeah, I mean, both that everybody gets called a Strasserist now and no one really knows what it means, even though they just mean, like, most people use it mean, like, uh, you know, and B, like, I meet more and more Strasserists in the world, actual ones. It, it, there's a danger in that. There's always been a danger in that. I mean, it's been a danger that even George Orwell talked about. You throw around the word fascist too much, and then it has no meaning, but it also has no sting. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm not one of those people who doesn't think there are real fascist movements in the world. There are, um, but it's it's one, of, and some of them have adjacency to power. Um, only in a few places do they have actual substantive power. But I don't really know what we do by spreading those ideas. And I also don't know, like, I don't know. I, I guess one of the things that I, I, that's a hard line to maintain is people need to be more principled, but more open about what their principles mean in the world. Um, and how that changes. And I also think we have to be careful about distraction. I know you guys are a pop culture podcast too. And, uh, I often feel like getting involved in these pop culture debates. is just like being a tool in marketing. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's like people fighting. Well, the, uh, yeah, at some point it's like, it's, what is it? At some point the, uh, the pop culture consumption became the political fight because I don't know, it's like people had seeded hope in anything else or, you know, it, the, the, the cultural consumption just became so dominant that your, uh, your, what impulses would naturally have you fight out political stuff naturally transferred over to fighting up uh cultural stuff yeah i mean I, I feel like i feel like when the leftist just felt like it could win the culture war but lose everything else for like since the 80s and i mean here the broad left not the radical left um the, the radical left it just felt like it's been losing but uh and that sort of leaves us to over focus on things i mean the the focus on pop culture and representation and the focus on law seem to have become losing things um and like now that now that the Supreme Court makeup is what is really losing things. How much do you think the focus on law is just due to the particular makeup of the people who were, you know, the kind of the uh, the more bookish, nerdy, uh, intellectual types who were in the left, who were kind of naturally uh, wanting to research that kind of stuff. You know, really interesting. I think some of it's that. I also think some of it is that law can actually stop certain actions defensively. It's it's a conservative mechanism, and that in that such structural sense. Um, and so you could use it to stop certain kinds of real guard localist actions. But we, I don't think people thought about the implications of trying to do, I mean, like if you look at most of the, of the cultural left wing victories since the sixties, they've been legal, not and not legislatively legal. They've been judiciary. Yeah. That's not a great president because of, you know, it, it, it really, it really isn't a super good way to, to run um yes there have been exceptions where like the the popular opinion has gone with the judiciary over time in the case of um segregation in the case of um both um interracial and and uh non-heteronormative marriage but in general um that's that's highly defensive and, and increasingly the powers one one area of the government um and and one of the it was legitimately the least democratic area of the dome. Yeah. And it has it shown that the for all the talk of like radical democracy, for most leftists, they didn't really believe in it. Hmm. Garrett? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, the only thing I was going to say is that I, I feel like the uh, sort of uh, legalist uh, perspective on the left, it, it feels to me like um, it kind of feels like revolution because it gets big results when it does. But uh, but it, no one uh, gets hurt. You know what I mean? And I think that that's we're still in this period where we're going, you know, using that that category of the broad left is so afraid of violence uh, or 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 any kind of negative social outcome in that in that regard that, yeah, they, they want they want to be saved by the legal system rather than something that, you know, means we have to something extra legal. Well, not just extra legal, but but something that sort of upends everything that we're accustomed to, you know. What and, I mean? and, yeah, well, I don't believe in generational politics a whole lot, but let's like let's be a little bit generational here. Um, baby boomers went, you know, lived through a period of the '70s, which was a period of like there was like two thousand terrorist bombings. They weren't aimed at killing anyone; they were basically terrorists LARPing. Yeah. Which, when we complain about political LARPing today, we don't blow shit up and accidentally kill ourselves as much. Touche. Yeah, Just, you know, throwing that out there. But that was the seventies, and the sixties was an era of political assassinations. Like, and so, and right, and like real riots, the likes of which we have not seen since like ninety one, and even those were mild. So, well, I mean, as far as the political assassinations go, both of the big ones that immediately spring to mind would be the Kennedys, and those I would argue weren't necessarily. Uh, political or at least they weren't capable of being interpreted as such because oswald really died before he could say anything about it and sirhan sirhan by most accounts was insane so right there but is you also a, have to deal with the assassination of most of the sub the, the subordinate political leaders at the time i mean you can't deal without the inter the inter um, nation of islam killing of malcolm x probably you can't deal without the assassination of martin luther king you can't even deal without the attempted assassination of george wallace well, yeah, and I was going to say, the, uh, there was also the fact that a lot of the assassinations that took place in that era, I would argue, were actually executions. Yeah, I mean, and and, but, and we and a lot of them are also still unsolved. So it's, 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 it's hard to parse out, but that was the feeling in the air. And then revolution didn't happen. In fact, it just faded and then you got Reagan. I mean, the thing about 68 that people have only recently, I think, really started to look at other than COINTELPRO, why did it die? What happened to all those people? You mm -hmm. know, and then you look in the in the context of, of the world, why, you know, those national revolutions didn't didn't become socialist paradises in most cases. I mean with a few with a few exceptions where there are like rump socialist states that we're able to maintain. Who knows how much longer they can. And another thing that I've noticed that leftists ignore is both Cuba and the DPRK. One of the reasons why Kim Jong-un has been so successful is he's de he has liberalized his economic policies in a specific block, um, mostly with China and Russia. But that's been massive. And uh, that is like both leftists and, and the popular discourse around those countries in the United States hasn't dealt with that at all. Or the uh, or the other two things connected to well the the interesting contrast being is that North Korea has you know nuclear capability but Cuba doesn't even though they right. they both still survived 
Right now, Cuba has issues, and the the idea that it would be able to maintain its communism as it even as it is now is pretty questionable. But it can survive as a state and probably maintain a lot of its social programs. It could survive hurricanes um, a lot better than everybody else can. That's for, that's for damn sure. Right, it seems to be able to, but it also has low overhead for a variety of reasons. One of which is an island. Ah, yeah. But um, where <laughs> now in places like like uh, Venezuela and Bolivia. Things are much more complicated. It looks like Maduro will survive this. But as to the content and possible success of his long-term programs, good damn luck. Hmm. Um, Bolivia is, is an even weirder mess that I don't even want to get into. But, uh, you know, um, it looks like there was a coup. It also looks like there was a crisis of popular support that enabled the coup. But was it truly, you know, I don't think their election was stolen and the o, uh, the OAS was definitely messing around in its report and being very cagey. Um, Pred- predictably so. Right. Um, but there is that I have that I've, I've, I have seen people from Bolivia who are sympathetic to government say that it was not the right wingers who asked um, Morales to step down, but some of his loyalists who were purged immediately after and the right wing coup that immediately happened to to ask them to step down to avoid civil war so it's it's a complicated situation i actually don't know the truth on that because everybody's fucking lying it is interesting that i think there are some legitimate critiques of morales that you can make but it's very strange how the powers that immediately swept in when he was gone seem very excited about undoing everything that he worked on that was actually good yep funny how that happens yeah it is funny how that happens. It also means that, like, if you're a leftist, the pressure not to screw up is, you know, super high. Yeah. Um, yeah. They'd... Because you know that the people who are going to take over, if you screw up at all, let's say you're a workers' party in Brazil and have a corruption scandal, and then, like, not only you, but your predecessors, one of the most popular presidents in Brazilian history, ends up in prison. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, you screwed up. Now, Yes, there's also right-wing conspiracies going on, but we should always assume there are right-wing conspiracies going on. That's a constant. Yeah, it's like background noise. I want to touch on the pop culture thing real briefly, though. Okay. And we're back. We're not back. This is... Okay, whatever. Okay, then this is off the record. Uh, I... I'm still kind of putting this together in my own head, but I would be curious to get your reaction to it, which is that I think a lot of the popular notions about how the left or I guess the liberals have won the culture war doesn't really ring true to me as someone who works in pop culture and who is probably the most intense consumer of it in this podcast, at least. I, I would actually tend to agree in the sense that popular culture is still much more conservative than people realize. I mean, all the dialing back of of Star Wars to its fan communities. I mean, the last Star Wars movie is deeply stupid because it's deeply safe. You know, it doesn't take any risks really at all. Well, I didn't um, know. I don't know if you noticed, but there is a lesbian kiss in it. Yeah, it's barely noticeable, you know, after they de-shipped Poe and, uh, and uh, Finn. So, you know, whatever. Well, the uh, Star Wars was actually kind of what inspired my thinking on this because it turns out that they're actually going to cut the lesbian kiss for foreign markets. I think it was, I thought that was just for Singapore. 
Uh, it's multiple markets. Oh, okay. basically. That does not surprise me at all. The the other thing is the progressiveness of uh, of world culture is often greatly overstated. Greatly overstated. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about stuff like the recent HBO show Watchmen, the sequel to the comic book, which earned a lot of praise from people because it depicted the Tulsa race riots. But if, right. if you actually watch the show... It has no coherent argument to make about race. It's not a coherent work. If you watch the entire thing, the beginning of the show doesn't really have much to do with the ending. And I guess you could argue that you shouldn't trust Asian women because they will trick the KKK into doing stuff. Hang on, I think we might have lost you. Oh, it's the... It's Hollywood trying to shut down my views. Uh, you back? Okay. We lost. I think we might have lost you there for a second. I got it. Okay. Cool. All right. No, I mean I haven't watched the other show yet, and I've been I have a lot of progressive friends who really like it, but I I have also I'll bet I've, you do. I've been very critical of a lot of a lot of people's narratology on race because a lot of it actually is very superficial. And there's there isn't a coherent argument, and people are resistant to a coherent argument about race. Actually, how so? Um, I, most people don't want to look at it. W- one, I mean, like the way we talk about race and social construction doesn't make us does not make people happy, and it also like mm. leads to one of the things I've liked uh, that I've been pointing out lately. For example, is the lionization of James Baldwin, who I I, I genuinely like and think is important. But he was skeptical of integration. Well, and that's something that I think touches on what I'm seeing right now, which is that there's no... I mean, all the Watchmen show is really capable of saying is that racism is bad, but it doesn't really have anything to say about how you address that, except that maybe you should blow up the KKK with lasers or something. I don't know. Right. It was kind of something that um, I think Leslie Lee actually was posting about of with a lot of um, as a reaction to kind of like a lot of the um, the response that Black Panther got was that he didn't um, he didn't want kind of, um, you know, he didn't want like movies really taking on like heavy, uh, heavy, you know, heavy, you know, dramas handling like you know heavy topics like this because. Um, there's no way in hell good politics or any sort of good political statement could make it through uh, the studio system without getting, you know, noted to death or sanded down to the point of incoherency. Right. I mean, I mean, you see that you see that in uh, and and Black Panther, the movie itself, right? Like the Afrofuturism is also very neutered, and there's a good CIA plant, and there's a bad CIA plant. And the bad CA plants more of an Afro nationalist, but actually a liberationist, but also really cynical and just wants to recapitulate as revenge. And like some of those themes actually could be interesting if explored, you know, coherently. Right. Gotta wait for Black Panther two. But they're not explored coherently at all because because I think also if you explore them coherently, you're gonna make somebody mad. Yeah. Really mad, as as opposed to people just kind of being mad about like maybe. You know, such and such villains actually the good guy, but not they're not really dealing with it. And that's true in pop culture in general. Pop culture to me is actually a very, very conservative force, even when it's being woke. It is conservatively woke. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. To me, it's always seemed to. Well, I mean, not always, but at least in the last 10 or 20 years, really started to try to appear more centrist than anything else 
Well, but that's what conservative wokeism is, really. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I mean, we might be dabbling over semantics. Like, radical conservatism would have no spear into it. I, I think one of the things that we have to look at is everyone's been declaring that the the center, the center liberal, and by liberal, I mean kind of center-right liberal. Yeah, liberal from the European direction, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, from the 50s, has been dominant for like half a century. And no one's really questioning that. Even a lot of the critiques of the of like the current right is it's it's based on like the end of the center right gentility. And honestly, even the critiques of George W. Bush were often that way. It's like, you know, I remember most of the attacks is he's a moron. Now we don't hear that anymore. Um, and not you know, some people are he's a moron or he's a fascist, but very few people were were able to hold on to he's a war criminal. Yes, a lot of people thought it in 2007, but like to keep it in your head 10 years out. With like everything else that happened in the intermediary, in the intermediary yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, one of the things about right now is when I hear a lot of critiques of pop culture or Trump is I feel like like people just have no memory at all, even of the recent history. Like, and I was talking to someone the other day about how some things have gotten more progressive, but in other things, even in progressive circles, things seem less progressive. For example, um, race and gender essentialization seem bigger than they've ever been, um, which is kind of maddening. Wait, when we were gone there, uh, Garrett decided to break out the peanut M and M's, which is the time. which is the perfect All the right. perfect podcasting right, uh, podcasting right. uh, snack. Fucking maniac! Goddamn animal! Did you ever, um, Derek? Have you ever had the chance to talk to Max Elbaum? No, I want to since I've been like pimping his book for two years. That's yeah. the guy who wrote the Seven People You Meet in Heaven, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. He also wrote Tuesdays with Maury. Tuesdays with Maury, total class. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, class act. Mm-hmm. But he's, yeah, he's one of, especially for his um, uh, uh, Kevin from uh, Regrettable Century and I. We got to talk to him uh, actually here in our little recording studio back in God. This was shit, Jan- July or August. And yeah, was, I, I think you would tell me it was going to happen. We talked like in March. Mm-hmm. And. Um, no, that was cool because I asked. I think the last the last two questions that I had to ask him were about if he had any good Weatherman stories and if he had any good Bob Bacon story. And because uh, he's him, his Weatherman story was his Bob Bacon story because he had, <laughs> because he attended the Flint War Council that happened in my hometown in December 1969, where like the kind of Weatherman of you know they kind of went underground, but Bob Bacon was there and actually was kind of like talking. You know, it was I guess apparently it was a calming force and actually like talking to people in the hallways there and trying to talk people down but um that doesn't surprise me though i mean like when you read particularly because avakian was involved in that one time where the police got involved in the, R- the rcp and got people killed mm. um the avakian would probably be tactically conservative uh, to bring it back down to the when we we're talking about the structural flaws of the sds well, one of the flaws of the sds is it was set up by libertarians so it was easily infiltrated by this case actually by communist groups um but that's what how um like the uh, COINTELPRO stuff were able to break it up is because it got, it did get legitimately infiltrated at the top end by communists. They were like the RCP was, had a leading role in it mm-hmm. um, towards the end. And it got targeted, you know, because I mean, some of those people were taking, I mean, some of these 
they were even trying to take like Chinese money. I mean, like it was that was where they were at. Yeah, the, um, the real. This the is real not to justify the CIA's narrative on this. It's just to point out that like people were giving people ends, and it was unmaintainable because a lot of people who, when they discovered this, were like, "Well, we're not communists," and so they abandoned the SDS. That sounds cool. I want. I want Chinese money. Yeah, back in the day, it was a lot easier to get. Apparently, even yeah. though there's a lot more of it now. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I was like, we've been we've been going around like a couple of things. And again, thanks for your time for on a. Um, oh wait, no, you're on. You're still on holiday break, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Still, we appreciate his time. Don't yeah, it's we, true. Jeremy? Yes. No, I just checking. It's just like <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm on, I'm technically I'm on endless break. I mean, my uh, I, I don't have it. You know, I got laid That's off. Right. I got laid off Friday before last, so it's kind of a thing of like. Oh, Jeebus! Yeah. Spring break forever. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a, I got a, I have an, a, I got an interview uh, coming up in a in a couple Mondays, but oh well. Um, one of the, the two questions I did, two topics that I didn't want to hit are just kind of. These are these are things that have been floating around in my head for a while, and it's like a couple of them I was even going to ask uh, Ben Burgess the last time we talked to him way back mm-hmm. when. But um, one of the questions was, and this I think this came up in one of in one of the episodes of uh, of uh, your podcast, uh, a topic on that I was always curious about getting into why like anybody like any uh, American right winger can't seem to either has either doesn't have the ability to or even uh, even apparently has in, any interest in, in separating um, any the idea of like leftist from liberal at all it's like anything anybody who is not branded conservative is just kind of like out group and and like whatever term they use for the out group just kind of like runs the gamut even uh, when those ter- when the descriptors are kind of like you know mutually exclusive. Yeah, it, it's uh, always hilarious to me when I hear right wingers say like, "Well, leftists call anyone to the left of them a fascist." When I'm like, "Well, you call everybody a communist, like everybody." But um, I think it's because one, they're in denial about their own history, hmm. since they have been attacking centrist liberalism as sympathetic to the Soviet Union since I don't know the John Birch Society. That pointing out that their ideology is also a form of centrist liberalism, um, particularly after neoconservatism was a thing, right? is almost impossible for them to admit because it, it, it plays against their own branding. That's on purpose. Another thing is there's a, a tendency to pick a period in time and everything beyond that point is no go. And, 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 you know, how far right you go is like when like, do you think, for example, that maybe the best idea for the for for a national polity is I don't know the Byzantine emperor. And yes, there are people who believe this. Sure. Why and not? so everything to the left of that, which is everything um, would appear to be left wing. And so you just tar it all as the same thing, just different varieties of the same thing. And you are somehow different. The, the the other thing you have to consider is temperamentally that conservatism, regardless of its kind, I mean, there there I actually think there is a such thing as left wing conservatism, um, is is very othering on purpose because it's concerned about saving a very particular notion. Yeah. Now, luckily for us, those particular notions are incoherent, and one of the things that plays into our favor, and so much that any of this does, is that. Right wingers don't agree on shit, really. If if pressed with some, if they actually have to like, I don't know, rule, they immediately turn on each other. I mean, who were some of the biggest and best critics of George W. Bush? They were right wingers, not left wingers. Hmm. Um, Wait, who would why? Those, who would those people huh? be? Hmm? Who would those people be? You would mean people who had the best, uh, the best uh, critics, critics of W. On the right, like paleo, um, paleocon t- types, weren't they? Well, I want I want names. Yeah. Oh. 
Paleocons and libertarians. Like, re- go back and read Liber- uh, like Reason magazine. It seemed like worth defending in like 2003 to 2007. And if you read like if like the American conservatives seem outright edgy. Yeah, American conservative, especially on foreign policy, some of the stuff because like, well, this is a, it, it's quite interesting. It's like, huh, this popped up here. Well, that's an interesting, you know. It's, yeah, it's I mean, it was stance. it was better on some of that stuff than like a lot of left wingers were, frankly. And it was more coherent on it. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the left couldn't really figure out what to do with it, particularly if they were Democratic left, because they still had to deal with the legacy of like I don't know Clintonism in Kosovo and even Iraq, where you know the only difference between the Bush position and the Clinton position was how hot you wanted that war to be. Yeah, was, people forget one of the last things Clinton did in his in his presidency was bomb Iraq. It was a small bombing, didn't lead to a war, but it was a thing. Or sending so, or cruise missiles into Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those things are totally not new at all. And um, and so the libertarians and the paleocons, because they were out of power and because they were in opposition to both groups, sounded more consistent. Nobody read them at the time. Although if you look at the change of the – I mean, you know, I don't want to compare Bernie to Ron Paul because I don't think they're the same. But – Ron Paul had a lot of liberal support too because of his critique of yeah he was like um, he was technically like an, yeah it, technically like anti-war right and like we we now know from hindsight you know how that would have played out and people have looked at his other positions since then but in 2004 and 2008 that that had a lot of cachet I remember it having a lot of cachet <laughs> that's why for example Alex Jones in like 2009 to 2012 was trying to pull in left wingers into his orbit and just gave up yeah I think it's I think that that's that, that kind of leaning still has cachet is like that's where you get like Tulsi Gabbard supporters from a lot of <laughs> Like confused, uh, kind of confused people over like, but yeah, she's anti-war. I'm like, well, not sort of. Quite. Yeah, sort of, not quite. Well, I think Ron Paul and Bernie Sanders are similar insofar as that they both come off as people who have a sincerely held system of beliefs that is more or less coherent within the framework that it exists in so and it you is, might not agree with their premises but you can see how they arrive to their conclusions right and you can see that they're not trying to trick you yeah yeah like, and they actually believe what they're saying yeah they don't right. sound like everybody else either and i think that 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 is uh uh there's a, a decent chunk of people just being like please just don't sound like every other goddamn robot out yeah. there and, and so, i think that's that explains some of tulsi's uh, appeal as well is that that explains you Ross Perot's peril too? I yeah. mean, the, the thing about this, I think we tend to think this is new, but to me, this has been a thing since right. Reaganism. Right. Or what about even like George Wallace? But uh, maybe that was a different moment. No, yeah, George Wallace was like a, a good Democrat, except he was an utter racist. And then, like, even that, really, because he was such an opportunist, he gave up sort of in the nineties. I mean, you know, his history is weird. Um, um, people may not remember, but him like doing all this pro civil rights legislation as a governor of Alabama. God, that is yeah. I think they they wait. They mentioned that in um that they mentioned that like, Patterson Hood mentions that in a Drive By Truckers song, doesn't he? There's that whole record, Southern Rock Opera. Yeah, because he I mean, talks a lot about yeah. George Wallace. It's a, that's a great record, by the way. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, I grew up in Georgia, so I, I I just know this stuff. And yeah, George Wallace. Like he he would go on television in the '90s with like holding hands with black people, 
and in support of integration and tried to get a bunch of um, uh, welfare reform. I mean, like welfare reforms for African-Americans through. I mean, it was still very, very conservative. It's a it's a Dixiecrat version of that. I don't want to whitewash his or blackwash or whatever you call that his history. I mean, there's no erasing it, but he was an opportunist, you know, and actually he did not go with the other opportunists, which was straight into the Republican Party. Right. So all those characters are like way more complicated if they survive than we know. I mean, the other thing is like, let, let's like be real for a second. One of the things I'm constantly battling about how honest do I want to be about people like Malcolm X? Like Malcolm changed his mind and would became more socialist sympathetic towards the very, very end of his life. But people quote him throughout his life period without realizing he was essentially a hyper conservative reactionary, but for black people. Yeah, wasn't it? I thought it wasn't it. I thought, it was, yeah, I always thought like his big change was like when he got back from the Hajj. Yeah, he went to the Hajj, just and he left the Nation of Islam and stopped believing in that, and then he got back from the Hajj and he kind of embraced a sort of Islamic internationalism that was sympathetic to communism, um, and uh, but never really communist. I mean, even even though there's been a sense to paint him that way, um, and you know he was always a truth teller, but like from his own perspective, he really was, but like. There's a reason why there's pictures of him near George Lincoln Rockwell and and leaders of the Klan. Like and it's because like Nation of Islam thought thought that separatism and even separatism in in relationship to extremists was worth defending and and while Malcolm X was critical of that even at the time he wasn't critical enough not to do it. Right, which is uh I think also kind of an interesting aspect of the um going back a little bit to the identity movement some of the discourse around it especially the afro pessimism stuff is like how do you get away from black nationalism as like it's you know sort of uh um you know terminus you know what i mean like to me that that seems like it would work with what uh the 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 that earlier um malcolm x i guess you mean is it similar like to like why like the clan was the clan was supportive of like Marcus Garvey's project because it's like yeah you guys Correct. can you know we'll you know we're yeah we're we're fully down with this you guys you know we'll 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 help you pack kind of a thing. Well, I, right. I I personally don't know a lot about that. I just think a lot of the uh, the discourse now where we're uh, like uh, well, I see Afro pessimism as an essentially conservative position. Right, that's what I'm saying. I and and uh, and I was trying to compare that to. Um, um, at Malcolm X, as as you were just well, Assad Hader actually does explicitly compare it. He says that you know the Afro pessimism is when when nationalism kind of gives up, and when internationalism uses a sort of you know because the Panthers were soft nationalists, but they were also internationalists. They believed that liber like everybody got liberated or no one did, including poor white people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were they you know class solidarity first. Racial solidarity is because black people needed the right to self-determination within that system. Mm -hmm. But then so would everybody else. It was in this sort of like post-Lenin, you know, everybody gets a nation in a confederation of communist states. That's what their vision was. But, you know, first you've got to get rid of class first before you can really deal with race, according to at least Fred Hampton. Although also we tend to um, make the Panthers more consistent than they were. Yeah. Like – the Panthers were in constant arguments with each other. Well, that's which, and Cleaver was adopting both an anarchist perspective and also something like Afro pessimism early on. He ends up being a Nixon supporter after the Black Liberation Army fails. So you know, 
Well, that yeah, that's it. Actually, it connects back to what we were talking about early uh, in the beginning of the conversation of like, you know, how do you deal with just the fact you know the co- complex shifting movements and and uh, and stances from people because shit changes over time and there's like you know, none none of these. Um, None of none of the, either like the, the the thought of of historical people or or of historical groups. This it's it's not it's not a monolithic block. It's it's no. it's you know it is it, it is it's it is it's difficult as shit and mixed up and nonlinear and kind of like uh conf, almost confused at times. And then like you know five years later, it's still that only in different ways. So yeah, one of the things that has, I've changed my mind about since we're still talking about that, but on this topic, I I used to think like being a Maoist or being a Marxist-Leninist or being a Trotskyist or a Lefkom or a social democrat it said something specific about you. And what I realized, both from reading historically what inspired these movements, and also from watching their positions shift over time and different people's positions shift over times, it doesn't tell me anything. Like, not a damn thing. I not only can find leftists on any geopolitical question on any side of it, I can find Maoist on any geopolitical question on any side of it, which tells me that the ideological content isn't that important at all. Yeah, this is this is similar to this is what uh, at the end of uh, end of our talk, Max Elbaum was talking about, too, about how one of the errors that they made in the 70s was, uh, you know, aside from people go people going all Maoist was hyper obsessing over having the you know having the correct line became the all encompassing goal and like everybody else, everything else flowed from that and so you had like a lot of people that was almost like the orientation was completely backwards what is that impulse though like that's the thing that's one of the things like i i would like to try to understand is it, it, it's i mean maybe you know you understand the right a lot better than i do uh but like on the left it just seems like we're all like there's always this like race to uh find this refinement of belief that that uh um sets oneself apart i, I don't understand what that what that i think that's that, an american thing honestly you think so i do actually i think it's i i think i don't i i, I see it in other countries too but like, that, i think that showed up in the uk didn't it but yeah it does what it tends to show up in english-speaking countries with a protestant lineage that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, so, you know, I know this is not perfectly materialist, but we're descendants of Puritans. We believe that beliefs really fucking matter. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of a problem. I mean, the other problem is we all realize that nothing's quite worked, but that people have had successes in the past. So if we can find the ideology that led to success and purify it, maybe we can maintain success as a blueprint. That's sort of like it's a it's a kind of um, like secular – totemic or you know the, yeah, way uh, of thinking but car- it's, it's, cargo cargo culty as it yeah were. it is but i mean like the only difference between us and cargo cults is like sophistication it's not the structure of the way reason fails right like it's it's rough proxies to reasonable arguments and that can lead you to some weird shit and the smarter you are and the more time you invest into figuring this out the more likely you believe it really matters because it really mattered to you and the less likely you are to kind of look at events on the ground. The thing is, though, I don't want to say like we should be ideologyless because if we are ideologyless, we could be like feckless centrists forever. Right, right. We've got enough problems with them already. You know, they don't have an ideology. They suck. 
You know, what does Joe Biden really believe? That's, <laughs> you know, like, well, no. God, I was going to about to do an impression. I don't even know want to attempt an impression of an impression of him. Come on, <laughs> come on, Jeremy. No, try, it's like, try it. I have my own problems with stammering. I'm not going to uh, affect them in uh, uh, on others. Okay, Joe Biden's beliefs are actually very simple. Uh, you know, if you go back in the day when corn dogs were like a nickel, that was a different era. And things were very different back then, and they were better, and we've lost sight of that. We need to go back to five-cent corn dogs. And I remember when I was getting a corn dog, I would get in my jalopy. That's what we called cars back then. They were jalopies. And I'm not really sure where the jalopy thing comes from, but do you remember (laughs) those hats that Jughead would wear in the comics? Those were really, like, that's actually a thing that they would wear at the at the mechanic it was a it was like a crown like a beanie yeah and those those were things that people would wear and people forget about that and i remember one time when i was taking my jalopy into the shop so you you, you have to, you got but you got to do this but you have to be like you have to stutter Hang on, a little Jeremy, more I want to hear and, you, and, you have, and you have to get and you have to get angrier too you have to be like 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 unnecessarily angry about it too well i got into a fight with a guy whose name was Rice Krispies, and he was a real, real humdinger, let me tell you. I will keep going if somebody doesn't stop No, 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 I mean, that's, that's, I mean you can also talk about how awesome Strom Thurmond was before he became a Republican, because I've heard Biden do that in person. <laughs> yeah, um, that I, one, went to him, that cool. I went to him speaking in 2016 because I, my ex-wife and I had a, um, a, uh, like a public lecture series thing, and Biden was one of the people speaking. You were living. Wait, you were living. You were living in the U.S. Then I thought you were. I thought you were. You were. Uh... I moved. I moved in. Um, I moved to the U.S. in the end of 2016. Ah, okay. So I've been back in the U.S. for two and a half years. Oh, all right. Yeah, I know. It feels. It doesn't feel that long, actually. I moved in after the Trump. I moved in after uh, the election was settled, and uh, so the first thing we did is. Um, we bought these tickets to go see, like, you know, actually, I, I wanted to see Jane Goodall speak, and these bourgeois bastards made me buy the entire series to see that. Um, but so Joe Biden was speaking. I figured, why the hell not? He, you know, he was Obama's whatever, whatever, and he makes a lot of gas. I'm sure it'll be funny. And he did this really long speech about how we all needed to get along, and maybe Throm Thurman wasn't all bad because he adopted a disabled kid. I mean, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah, and you can definitely hear – you realize that after – what did, how long did you talk? Like forty-five minutes or just twenty? Uh, like an hour. Jesus. Like, and then he did questions, but it was yeah, it was it was a uh, it was kind of. I I remember thinking it was odd even then, and like it has come up since then, but you know, <laughs> like it's it, it's it's weird. So you know, and I actually do think like for a person from the sixties, um, uh, Biden was occasionally progressive but that's like he they don't have an ideology really yeah there's nothing there right i mean Um, i I guess for me biden doesn't even really bother me that much compared to some of these other maniacs like uh pete Buttigieg. but uh no well biden's biden's a nothing suit he's he's the kind of people democrats like which is warm spit (laughs) so i mean look at al gore and john Kerry. right yeah warm spit personified Although I do, although I will hold that Al Gore is funnier than uh, he was allowed to be in public. But oh yeah, uh, y- yes. Um, Would you say that your perspective on the candidates has changed significantly? Like looking at where you were five years ago, are there any particular 
Democrats or even Green Party, for that matter, people who you think you view differently now? Um, from which era? From five years yeah. ago. Oh, from five years ago. Oh, okay. So currently, I think Bernie Sanders seems to be able to learn and become more radical in time, even though I think his positions are not as left-wing as a lot of people think. Um, but he does actually take advice really well, and I think um, – and he takes it sincerely. Like, for example, he included, dis- uh, you know, disabled care into his mm-hmm. um, socialized medicine package. He's been really good on trying to become better aware of racial issues since it wasn't a huge thing in Vermont. He has pretty good stance on, on guns, but has been willing to modify that. He has modified his stance on, on Israel, although he's always been a critic of the worst excesses of Israeli occupation. But he's, you know, become better on that over time. Um I also know he's a politician. Um, I know his record better. I know that he supported things, you know, that were not necessarily totally consistent with his stance when he was in Vermont, in particular, such as you know maintaining of uh, of plants to. He was backing up unions who were maintaining plants who were selling arms to anti-communist rebels. Well, I you mean, know, these, so. these are these are his changes, though. I want to know about your changes. Well, I, I have become more. I have become more interested in what was going to happen with him. So I, I, I actually used to think that Bernie was a delusion, that it was us, like he would be our Ron Paul. I don't think that anymore. Gotcha. I also don't know that I think he's that radical or he will be that successful. But if he became president and failed, we would have to look at some things hard. Um, so our focus on the executive branch would have to change. I also like, I used to be kind of a low key Tulsi Gabbard fan until I like learn more about her actual positions. Yeah. She's, she's um, got a lot of, she has more than a few, uh, some real scary shit going on there. She's strange. Yes. Yeah. She was strange, but, but like, not just, but like beach, I mean, weird, like, <laughs> uh, like beach culty weird. And, uh, like Corey Pine has a, uh, has like an entire thing about it because of, the, uh, the because of how he and his wife were kind of targeted by uh, that group, and they still live. Yeah, in well, it. he attracts weird people. Yeah, or that she too. attracts weird people. Yeah. This podcast sure got misogynist real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't, I can't even defend myself against that. The other thing that I would uh, say that my my stance on um, Pete Buttigieg has um, stayed the same. <laughs> my stance on Camilla Harris has yeah has been hilarious. Um, <clears throat> Freedom fighter. Uh, you know the funny thing about you know what's funny about Harris though is like I my opinion on her hasn't changed much, but my my opinion on all the people who backed her because some people who play radical in textbooks have supported her. Yeah, oh they, yeah, they really like her. I, I'm, how much of that is a California thing though? Yeah, I know. Well, I, I just sort of think maybe like California as the home of of liberal progressivism is not good. Like the richest state in the in the country should not be the bastion of progressivism. And I know that it's not just because it's rich. I realize that there's lots of poor people in California. In fact, that's really becoming all who can afford to live in California are the very poor and the very rich and everybody else gets the hell out. Mm-hmm. But it comes here. Or yeah, actually and, and to be and to be frank, that's a sign of economic success. That's how fucked up it is. It's success doing that, not failure. But um but you know, I wonder about that, and I wonder, like, what are we going to do about that? Because the other thing it's is doing is, like, for example, I'm reading for the first time, Bunny Sanders is really popular amongst California progressives, and that's good. That's great. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's only one fucking state. And 
another thing that I think we have to like that maybe I haven't changed my mind on, but I'm becoming more firm about is if if socialists want to take a a, a democratic um, approach to politics, they really, really have to be better at um, legislative and state level work. And on that, I got to let you go. There's someone at my door. Oh, shit. Okay. All right, man. Well, thanks for your uh, thanks for your time and shit. So, yeah, cool. Um, I can if you guys want to follow up someday, we can. But uh, yeah, I'll send you my rec- I have all this on a master channel. I'll send it to you sometime. All right, cool. All right. Thanks again, man. Thanks for your time. Take care, man. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Yep. All right. That's a forfeit. That means I won the debate. <laughs> we were having a debate. Yeah, I won. Jeff. Thank you. You're welcome. Crushed I'm it. Glad I could be here for it. On a technicality, but I'll still this take is it. Going to be a world historical event. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, Are that we gonna, do we, should be. Ra- do we want to? Do we want to oh, do yeah, an ending? Do our normal uh, segments, right? All right. Well, that was. Here's Garrett eating M and M's. Thank you. That's actually me and. Well, that's everybody eating M and M's. Good job. This everybody. is the uh, this is the anti ASMR. Anti ASMR. Yeah. Whatever. I don't get it. Um. Anyway, what did we learn? What do you think? Wide another another wonderful uh, wide ranging um, another conversation with uh, well that's why I like talking to him on the uh, and I listen like listening to when he pops up on various podcasts is like dude knows a lot so he does know a lot. Do we we all feel like Bernie Sanders pretty good right? I felt like the general Bernie Sanders opinion was pretty good. There's a Bernie 2020 sign out on the let's stairs. Be, let's be wary about what we think Bernie can do. Correct. But he's pretty good. That's the way I feel. Yeah. I actually feel better than that. Uh, I really like Bernie Sanders a lot. But we should be wary about what he can accomplish. Right. But, but uh, it, it's, I, I kind of agree with something like Matt Crispin said is that, you know, it's like Bernie's not going to bring the revolution, but whatever happens, he is a uh, his movement is a necessary precondition. Right. And who's going to bring the revolution? Uh, <laughs> nobody knows, but it's not going to stop people from like endlessly, endlessly uh, searching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Tulsi, not on board. Uh, not quite. She's, she's not. No. Who, okay. Who knows if she's going for a uh, like a media commentator spot or for going to try to run for like governor? I think Hawaii she's just a kook, isn't she? There's a lot of kook in there. That's what I but, think. Um, I don't. I, at this point, I don't. There's. It, it, I was going to say the, the uh, a good recommendation is as uh, as Derek. Uh, I was going to bring up when when Derek said that we're heading into the worst year ever. There's a podcast out there called Worst Year Ever, done by a lot of like ex ex cracked. Uh, people uh, like Cody Johnson from Some More News and um, um, uh, Robert Evans, uh, the other Robert Evans, and I can't remember who their co-host's name is, but uh, she is co-host on Some More News. They do a show, just um, the three of them and their engineer Sophie do a show called uh, Worst Year Ever. It's effectively about the um, the 2020 election. And they started off by going, uh, you know, they were going like candidate by candidate. And come once in a while, they'll, they'll handle a special topic like Rojava or something else out there. But it's a, it is very funny and very well researched. And like they're, um, like they're, they did an episode on, um, on like Tulsi that was just kind of like, wow, they really get into it. And then they, 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 they did their episode on, um, as they, uh, they, their episode on Bernie was pretty much just called, you know, um, critiques of Bernie from his, from, you know, from his biggest fans. So they kind of get into um, the good and the bad and the in the in the possible limitations to work out for. So yeah, check out worst year ever. I'm not going to do that. I'm already going to experience the worst year ever. I don't have the fortitude to actually listen to someone describing it. 
Well, it's not really describing the. You don't need the, runway for it. You're just gonna go in. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm thinking about just like disconnecting from the internet entirely. That's what I'm thinking about doing. Country. I don't. I, I don't. It's not possible. I don't think. I don't, oh, not entirely. Well, right. I mean, you yeah, can you can certainly. you can pull back a lot, but I think it's one of those things where somebody was saying how you know even if we could tra- uh, travel back in time, nobody from the modern era could go back to like even like the medieval period because you would go insane from the lack of stimulation. I wonder about that. I've thought about that because of like at some point we're just we're so we're so used to you know the sixty hertz hum uh, background you know the background hum of sixty hertz hum yeah that um that without there it's just you go mad. You think we're a different kind of creature now? Um, I think the brain. I think you know the human brains are plastic enough to uh, to change like that, but but they know. can't change in the other way. Um, we couldn't get used to silence again, for example. I well, I think you can, but you think it would just take, re- require just you know just you think time a lot of, lot, of time. lot of pain. Yeah, pain and time and a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, What's well, your recommendation, Garrett? Oh, are we doing recommendations? Let's right do. Now? Let's do. Let's, yeah, let's do. Uh, one of the, the closest thing to a regular segment we have on the show, uh, folks, is is recommendations and endorsements. What have you been digging on? You want other people to know about. Well, let's see. I already said Knives Out. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Still uh, need to see it. Won't but... change your life, but it will be a great time at the movies. Uh, what else have I seen or other that I've enjoyed a lot? Um, the first record by the band Split Ends? Fucking great. Man, that is a great band. I didn't know anything about them. But I got into uh, um, the Fix a little bit recently, and I guess its members of the Fix are also in Split Ends. I think actually, ha- I think I have their first. No, either I still have or I sold it. But I think I had their first album on vinyl over on there. On Petroleum Vinyl. Well, that's a great record. Um, kind of prog rocky, you know, Australian fun. Mm. Um, what else have I been up to? Light reading. P.G. Wodehouse, uh, he's a lot of fun to read if you want to get away from the, the fucking menace in your head. And so I've been doing a bit of that. Finally, um, I've been reading some Marx stuff, uh, Marxist stuff. In this case, Marxian ec- economics, a guy named John Romer. Mm-hmm. Um, Spell that if you would. R-O-E-M-E-R. John spelled like you expect. Oh, he doesn't have an H in his last name, huh? No, no, no. Uh, R-O-E-M-E-R. And there's other economists named Romer, which makes it more confusing. Better spelled R-O-M-E-R, but it, this is R-O-E-M-E-R. Ah. Oh, man, leave all that shit in. Um, he, he's, I, I'm not saying that Romer should be like, like your touchstone for like uh, Marxist economics, but I, I do think that uh, I, I liked him because he he brings in enough of sort of contemporary non-Marxist economics mm-hmm. that it helps it helped me as a gateway to to read Marx economically if that makes sense rather than politically um, so that's something I've been reading but uh, had started walking away from that a bit but it was a good grounding if you want to get that sort of that sort of basis in it that seems really important because one of the things that I personally have really come to believe very strongly lately is that there's a tendency on the left to treat Marx like holy scripture. Yeah. And cite chapter and verse. And I 
this is my original idea that I came up with. I think that's a mistake. Okay. So this sounds like a really good example of a more substantive, thoughtful approach to that material. Yeah, I mean, it will it will come up with counterintuitive. Like he has a he has a, 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 a one scholarly article called "Should Marxists Care About Exploitation?" That sounds very clickbaity. Yeah, and he wrote it before clickbait. So can you imagine? Can you imagine? Folks, can you imagine? Anyway, that's that's some shit I suggest. Uh, Jacob? I don't have anything to Nothing? recommend. This has been a really rough month Mandalorian? We had the... No? We had the end of Star Wars. We had the HBO Watchmen show. We also had a sequel to Watchmen in the comics called Doomsday Clock that also ended. All of this happened within the space of like... Oh, shit. That did happen this year, didn't it? A week. And honestly, it... All of these things together have kind of broken my spirit. I'm an empty, broken man. and Because they were bad? They were not even necessarily bad so much, just so profoundly pointless and empty exercises that they have really dispirited me and made me question my entire relationship with media. Popular culture. Yeah. That's rough. Black-pilled through bad... uh, through bad pop culture folks. I guess I would recommend the video game Death Stranding, there you go. which I enjoyed a lot. And I think it actually does have some things to say, not necessarily always in the most coherent fashion. That's one way to put it. But it is an apocalyptic adventure about being a mailman with ghosts. And it feels very personal because it has somebody at the top who felt very strongly about it and who made sure that it was a coherent vision. And it's willing to take creative risks, which is something that I didn't really see happening in pretty much any of the other volumes of entertainment that I have been cramming into my brain. So I think that would be the one recommendation I would make. But from this point forward, my 2020 resolution is to really start being a lot more persnickety about the material I'm consuming. I think that's a good move. That's cool. A couple things I will recommend. Um, there's a series of, um, I found this through the, uh, I think, what is it, openculture.net? I think it's Open Culture. But one of them is uh, a series of lectures that were recorded by the late Professor Stephen Resnick, a Marxian econ professor who did a lot of work with uh, Professor Richard Wolff. And he did a, uh, a I think back in... T- t- by the way, can I talk... Resnick and Wolf were, are critical of Romer, who I brought up earlier. That's just an interesting counterpoint. Excellent. It's um, whatever you know. Everybody is everybody being part of the scene. Um, but Professor Stephen Resnick did a series of, uh, did a full, um, did a full econ class. I think if you, if you search, uh, see, he did it when he was still teaching econ at UMass Amherst. And it's a series of of, of uh, econ lectures. It was called like Marxian Economics Lectures Econ. I think the class was like Econ three hundred five, and he does it, which is like him talking into a you know, he's, it's like it's him uh, talking into a camera and from a whiteboard. And it's kind of a thing where it gets in. If you ever want, if you ever want a one hundred one for any um for a kind of the kind of like headier. 
either like political econ stuff or like even like basic philosophy or history that we've talked about on the show over the last couple of years or even stuff that we talked about on this this episode tonight check out those uh, check out those those lectures it's like each little vi- i mean there's a, it's it's a few it's a it's a but maybe i don't know like three dozen videos the they all run between like 15 and 20 minutes all from the professor who like gets into everything from like basic you know basic econ stuff to like how things like you know how like how uh, ideology works so it's a lot of it's uh, there's a, it's pretty much it's marxism 101 and it's uh it's good stuff i would also recommend um recommend the podcast minion death cult uh, which I have really gotten into. It is, if any of you remember the, it, it's what's still running the podcast called the F plus, which were a bunch of like online friends who were kind of, they'd go out and find the kind of the weirdest message board communities and find the more, only the most choice bits and kind of like dramatically read them to each other. It was kind of, um, which they did for, uh, quite a while. This one is, it's similar to that, only it is, it's a couple of guys based out of Southern California, and their whole thing is, um, finding the most absolutely, for lack of a better description, um, kind of like Blue Lives Matter boomer mindset Facebook groups, uh, and, um, either. Free Republic stuff, you mean? Yeah, well, uh, Free, sort of, but free republic, but ten years later. So it's like it's now like um, it's it's like people who it's like free republic only if it was on Facebook and was like unnaturally concerned with like AOC, for example. That sounds like free republic. You're yeah. describing free republic. And but but it and but much more like uh, much more like minion meme based. So it, it is a it is a it is a, a, a really a good uh, worth show. They put uh, it was just the two of them just kind of like just do like just hell you know it's like sixty minutes for a while. They 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 recently did a tour with Street Fight Radio. In fact, they were even in Portland uh, about a month and change ago that I missed. So it's it's worth checking out. It's called uh, Minion Death Cults. Um, other than that, um, I'm trying to think of like if have I have I seen any movies that were worthwhile? I don't really remember. It's oh yeah, go see Parasite. Parasite is great. Uh, have you guys seen Parasite yet? No, no. sir. Um, it is uh, done by uh, what is it uh, Bong Joon Ho? I believe the guy's name is, and it is um, it is a hell of a time. That's all I got. And it's one of those films that just know that it's worth seeing and don't find the less you know about the film going into it, the uh, the better it is. So. That's my whole thing. I don't I, know anything about any movie. I, I see like anymore. Snowpiercer more because it had Captain America. This one, uh, uh, this one did too not, long. Yeah, this one did not have uh, did not have white folks in it, so it was. Was better. Parasite too long? No. Okay, good because Snowpiercer was way too fucking long. I don't, how long was Snowpiercer? I don't even like remember. Like six hours. That long movie was so fucking long. It's a good movie. No, I enjoyed it, but it was too long. That's my complaint about nah, most movies. Nah, it was movies. the exact right length. Long like a too, like a too long train. But all right. But um. And yet, other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, do any of y'all have anything you want to plug? You want to give out contact info or anything, or do you care at this point? Or um, I still sing in country bands in the in the uh, greater Portland area, but I don't even we don't even have websites anymore. The ones that I am in, gotcha. So find us. Which, well, what's the name of your band? Uh, I'm in. Well, I'm in one. You know what? It's not worth it because we don't have a name. Oh, all right. We don't then. have a name right now. We're just our names, our individual people names, and that's going to change soon. But I don't know what it's going to change to, so forget it. Yeah, you can't can't really uh, name drop something that doesn't have a name now, uh, can you? No, I mean late shift is kind of done, so I don't have any bands with names right now. I'm working on a vocal 
sort of group, but that uh, doesn't have a name either. All right. Do you have a band with a name? I have a Twitch. Is it, okay. And that is... Is that like a band? No. Oh, okay. I'm Jacob Mercy on Twitch, and if you want to get in touch with me, I would recommend creating a very large leftist organization with a coherent ideological framework and when your group reaches one million members or more pass a resolution that uh basically i don't know pays for an advertisement to get my attention and then i will get in touch with you i second that idea excellent um you want to get in touch with it. No one ever does, but just in case you want to get in touch with the show with questions, comments, and suggestions for good Korean places to eat in town, email uh, givingthemic at gmail.com. As always, we do have a Patreon for this stuff. Uh, I really need to push, I really need to put a Patreon mention like up near the front because no one actually listens to the end of a podcast. You can help us support making this at patreon.com slash givingthemic. Um, uh, what else? Our, our theme tune was uh, made by and and gener- uh, generously donated by the Mysterious Breakfaster Cereal. Or is it Mysterious Breakfast Cereal? Or, or, I can't remember uh, how he describes his name. Um, other than that, yeah, uh, SoundCloud.com slash Giving the Mic. Or on fa- find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Giving the Mic. Browbeat your friends into uh, into listening. Uh, we just put out an episode where I talked to my nephews about their favorite game, Fortnite, which... Um, Problematic. Probably, which is a, um, it just say it's not exactly you know, worth worth a listen. Not necessarily the best uh, sound quality because this is what happens when you have a an eleven year old uh, tapping his fingers on a microphone. But anyway, uh, once again, and uh, th- uh, thanks, folks. Thanks to uh, thanks to Derek Varn. Check out his podcast through the uh, zero through zero books called uh, Pop the Lefts. I think you can find it through di- the Diet Soap Potomatic feed too. And um, anything, uh, anything y'all want to push, honk, or, did, honk. or should say anything, any final words? Honk honk. I concur. All right. Good night. Honk 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 honk. Yeah. <laughs>